Hey, thanks for coming, everybody. If we haven't met, I'm Jared. I'm Director of Student Ministries here. I'm starting this series today called Haters. The reason I wanted to start to do this series is because I believe, if you're anything like me anyway, you've got haters in your life. Uh, I have some haters I think don't really like me, and I think we all kind of have these people in our lives, whether it's at work or Gosh, maybe it's not for me, but maybe your in-laws. Maybe there's somebody in your life who's making your life difficult. They're always telling you how to do your job better, how to do this better. And you can just feel, you know how you can feel a hater just looking at you from across the room? Like you know when they're hating on you. Like you walk into the lunchroom or you walk into the the business room and sit down for a meeting. And there's just kind of like this feel you get from somebody. And maybe they've never said anything outright, but you're like, oh boy, a hater's going to hate, Right? They just come at you from all directions. They come at you from social media. Oh my goodness. How did they even get in your Facebook feed? You had to friend them as an ad, and they don't have a button that says, Yeah, you can look at my stuff, but you're still a hater. Like, you know, they don't have that button. Wouldn't it be great if you could define that, right? Because we all have these people in our lives that make our lives difficult. And we feel that, and we have to figure out what to do with that feeling. So here's why I think this is important. Because haters actually do something to us. They do it to all of us. They actually steal some of our life away. In fact, I was saying it this way. Haters destroy our emotional margin and distract us from our most important work and relationships. If you ever thought about it, I've lost sleep over haters. Like, I've, I've had people who didn't like me, and I, I, I've been like, oh, when I see them again, here's the conversation I want to have. And I go this whole thing. And you know how you can't stop your mind from spinning that through? And I, I've lost sleep because this person doesn't like me or said something about me, and they're like a hater. And it just caused me to go into this anxiety mode of like, and I couldn't sleep. I, I've lost time at work. Because I've been texting with a hater back and forth. You know how that gets with the all caps and they get really, they really long explanations of what they meant. And you're like going back and forth and you're like, yeah, I don't think this person likes me very much. And you can tell from the text, I've not gotten things done at work because of that. There are actually some the times that I haven't gone to an event because I thought, oh, that person's going to be there. And I know it, would, it might be fun if they weren't going to be there, but I don't really want to go now that they're going to be there. And you, you... You've done this too. You've avoided great situations because somebody else is there that you don't want to be around it because you feel like there's a, just a tension there that you don't want to have to deal with. This, this is why I want to do this series because I think that's really not good. I, I, think that, I think that forces us into a corner and we end up doing one of two things. You, you may, I end up being on both. I can be either one of these people uh, depending on the relationship or the circumstance. But I know that I respond to haters in two specific ways. In one way, a hater comes at me strong and I come back even stronger. Oh, buddy, you about to get it now. You bring the hate, you better get ready for some hate coming back. right? And I respond with, oh, man, I get angry and I get upset. And I, tell, and I, I love to tell people behind the scenes what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do later to that person that I actually don't say and actually don't do. But you, you get my drift. It causes me to start hating that person back. Or in certain situations, I start to hate myself. Because I figure, well, if that person would say that to me, that might be true. And maybe I'm not really good at that. And maybe I don't deserve that. And maybe that's just that's who I am. And I'm just not a good person. And I can go either way with that. But in either of those situations, I think it's, I think it's unhealthy for us to deal with haters in that way. And so what I'd like to ask you this morning is a very serious question. I'd like you to help me over the next few weeks as we go through the series to figure out the answer to this question. How do I shake off them haters? Like, 
I, I was going to spell it them, and then I, um, Matt Johnson um, told me, no, you have to spell it with the common vernacular dim. So that's, that was a Matt Johnsonism. But how do, how do we do this? Like, we know what the effect is going to be of a hater in our life. We know what's going to happen. But how do we deal with it? What are we actually supposed to do? If we're not supposed to hate them back and get angry and, and, and gossip about them and do things back to them, and, and we're not supposed to hate ourselves, what's the other choice? Where do we go with this? So here's where I want to go with this today. I want to try to, to start talking about a, a subject on the opposite end of hate. Uh, it, it would help us understand it. It's called love. See, I, I think we can approach hate from the aspect of love just like counterfeit people who spot counterfeit money. You know that when they train people to spot counterfeit money, they only show them true $100 bills and true $50 bills. They don't show them any counterfeits. They sit in a room and they study, study, study the real thing so well that when they see a counterfeit, they just know it. That's what I want you to do with this hate thing. So you're looking at me going, okay, we're going to stay love. Why don't you call this series Lovers? Because one, that's awkward. And two, you shouldn't need another reason. It's just awkward, okay? So it's called haters because we want to deal with the haters, but we're going to talk about how to get there through love. I know you're already confused. So let's uh, talk about the person I want to talk about today who is named Jesus, right? Here's why I picked to talk about Jesus today. Jesus was... Uh, a brand new on the scene in, in the world of thinking about love. If you go back and look what people thought about love before Jesus came along, he changed the way people thought about love. It, the way he lived and what he taught changed our culture based on what he says about what love is. And there was a guy that followed Jesus named John. Now, John was one of his closest friends while Jesus was here on earth. And, and John actually wrote one of the biographical accounts of Jesus' life. It's actually called John. So you start the, the New Testament, the the, the, the biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's probably in your Bible in that order. If you look in the app, at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's right there, but we're not going to look at the biographical account that John wrote. Actually, if you move past all the other writings in the middle, are mostly by Paul of the New Testament. You move to the end in the order that they're usually placed, you have letters. And at the end of these letters, there's three short little letters by John where he's writing encouragement to believers and Christians who are dealing with haters in their context. He's writing to them because he knows that they are dealing with Roman people who are trying to figure out why is this Christian movement being so successful and they're dealing with Jewish people who are going like what are you guys doing you're saying that a man rose from the dead that's crazy there's no way only God can do that he can't do that and so they're they're being beat up from two different sides and so he's writing to them telling them what to do about haters and in this section this little passage we're going to show you I want to show you this verse how John starts it he says dear friends let us love one another to which we all in the room go obviously. Like, nobody here is on the fence about love. Nobody's like, well, I'm not sure. I'm not just not sure love's a good thing. And I'm just still holding out my judgment on that one. I'm not sure what to do there, but I know it's not love. Nobody does that. Everybody knows love is the good thing. Love, nobody's going to argue about love being a good thing. We do for one another. We should love one another. Here's the problem. What you think of when you think of let, uh, let us love one another, you think of something different because you live in a different context than what John lived in. And here's what I want to break down for you in the next few minutes. I want to help you figure out what your context for love is and what John's context for love is. Because when he says, let us love one another, it looks very different from what you think probably. Because every one of us, our idea of what love is and how it looks and how it's shaped is based on our emotional, relational history. How you dealt with your parents and how they dealt with you helps you figure out what love is. How you dated in high school and the way people broke up with you or didn't break up with you or whatever happened, that, that goes into how you figure out love. And 
all these different relationships you have at work and all the different people you try to have friendships with and those friendships have now moved away and you've lost touch and all that stuff, all that goes into understanding. And when you hear, let us love one another, I just want you to understand, you don't necessarily see this the way John sees it. So I want to give you some context before we go in through the rest of the verses here in 1 John in this letter because I don't want you to get lost in his idea of love until you understand his context for why he's saying this the way he's saying it. See, John lived with Jesus during his lifetime and his ministry, and Jesus taught some things about love that were revolutionary. And honestly, if you were reading this in a college class and you were reading this passage we're about to read in a second from Matthew, one of Jesus' other disciples wrote this biographical account, and in Matthew, there's this whole thing, this whole Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's, quite, it's actually taught, it was taught in my, one of my college classes. And when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, it's often taught as hyperbole, exaggerated language. Like it's just this exaggerated way to think about love. But John doesn't think about it as, as hyperbole. So when John hears this from, and, and he heard this live in Matthew, everything John says about love comes from what he heard Jesus teach and what he watched Jesus do. So it's determined by this one truth. When he hears what, Matthew, what, what Jesus said and what Matthew wrote down, this is how he puts his filter on what love is. This is what is going to define love one another. There's nothing else. This, John learned something so revolutionary from Jesus' life and his teaching that it absolutely blew up what he thought about love and it changed it. In a, in a whole new way. So let me read this story to you, the, the, the teaching of Jesus from Matthew that changes our look on love. You have heard it said, Jesus is saying, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In which case you go, yeah, absolutely, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That's what is normal. That sounds reasonable. That's what you're supposed to do. You love the people in your community who help you be better. And the people who don't, you cut off and you hate them and you push them away and you fight them if you have to. But you don't love your enemies, Jesus. What are you talking about? You don't pray for those who persecute you. And that word persecute gets me. Like I've had people talk about me behind my back. I've had people to my face tell me how awful a person I was. But persecution, I don't think I've been there yet. And Jesus says, wait a minute, love, it's, it's this, but it's also something else. Love your enemies and pray for the people who intentionally try to hurt you. And they try to come after you. And then he says this in the next few verses to really make it come home. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The tax collectors were not respected as a, a, a group of people at all. So if you were going to be put on the same level as a tax collector, you were the lowest of the low. Like if you just love your family, you're just doing what a tax collector does. And he says this in 47. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than other people? Like if all you do is make sure you say hi and treat well the people that are your brothers and your, your family and your friends and the people that are close to you, you're not any different than anybody else. And this is, this is what's so crazy. Is, as John's writing this thing, love one another, he remembers this being said by Jesus in front of all these people on this mountainside. He's teaching all these people, and he's telling people, look, love your enemies. And you're saying, yeah, but it's hyperbole. It's exaggeration. He just means, like, raise the level of love. Like, just love people better. No, no, no. He also, John also watched Jesus. On the night before Jesus would die, he sits around with his disciples in that last dinner they have together. 
And before they sit down to dinner, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to wash all of your feet. And, and they protest, no, 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 Jesus, don't wash our feet. You shouldn't be doing that. You're our teacher. You're, don't do that. We'll wash our No, Jesus is like, listen, if you want to be a part of what I'm doing here, let me wash your feet. And so they all let him wash their feet. And he washes all 12 disciples' feet sitting around that circle. He even washes the feet of a guy named Judas who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And later that night, right, Judas had his feet washed by this guy. And later that night, he hands him over to the Roman guards to arrest Jesus right there in the garden. And then, then this guy, Peter, one of the other Jesus' followers, he's, he's going to try and protect Jesus. Like he's fired up. He's a fiery one. And he pulls his sword. And I know John is like watching this going like, dude, what are you doing? There's Roman soldiers. You are dead meat. And I don't know if Peter's just bad with a sword. He's got bad aim. Or maybe he was so nervous he couldn't hit. But he misses the guy completely. And he cuts off this guy's ear. And Jesus goes, oh, what what are you doing? Stop it, Peter. Put your sword away. And he picks up the guy's ear. The Roman soldier who's going to take him to be beaten and flogged and and eventually crucified. He puts the guy's ears back on. He said, Peter, hang back. And then John watches as Jesus is hanging on a cross dying, and in his final breath, just trying to breathe, and John is standing next to Jesus' mother, Mary, and Jesus looks at John and says, John, take care of my mother because I, I, I'm not going to be able to take care, of her, take care of her. And John's like, yeah. And then he hears Jesus say these words, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Now you tell me. Does that change the way you think about what Jesus said? And he said, love your enemies and pray for the people who persecute you. See, Jesus didn't just teach it. He also did it. And this is what's so amazing when you figure out that John's writing this 50 years after he watched Jesus die and then rise again. And then look at him eye to eye and say, John, John, I I know you didn't know what to do with the few days I was dead there, but I'm back to life. And listen, I want you to keep going with this message. Are you kidding me? It would have to change the way you viewed love as a, as a whole if you watched somebody actually live out what they said was it. I mean, it's impossible. How many of you can love your enemies and pray for the people who persecute you naturally? No. And that's why John, he, as he writes this, it's just, it blows him away. And that's why I want you to understand the context of this is that John watched a man do this and he didn't have a category for it. What he saw Jesus teach and what he saw Jesus do looked unreasonable. That's because God's bar for love is unreasonable. You shouldn't have to love the people who hate you. But Jesus did. He did the unreasonable thing. He loved you when you didn't love him back. See, he loved you so much, he came to die for you even before you asked for it and knew you needed it. And so God's bar for love is unreasonable. It's absolutely crazy. So when John's saying, dear friends, let us love one another, he can't help but think about the times Jesus looked at him and said, hey, if you want to be my follower, this is the way people will know you're following me, if you love one another. So John's in the middle of this letter, and he's writing to these people who are surrounded by haters, and he keeps pointing them at this one thing. And all of you, you're going, what? Are you kidding me? How, there's no way I can find love. There's no way I can find the love to do what J- Jesus did or what John. I, my line's here. Like I, I can love people who love me back or at least kind of treat me okay, but I can't love somebody who's actively trying to get me out of there. I, but John, he says this. 
Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. So listen, it's unreasonable to think you can love. That's why God says, no, 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 you're, you're thinking of it the wrong way. You think you're the source of love, but you're not the source of love. God's the source of love. John's like, this is the only way for me to explain this. This is the only way to explain what I saw Jesus do and what I heard him teach. It's the only way I think I bring these two together. I always thought I was the one who brought love to the situation and the relationship, but now I realize there's no way I can bring enough love to love those people over there. It's got to come from a source, not from me. And so John, in the best way he knows how, he says, if I'm going to love one another, it's got to come from God. It's got to come from another source. And this is the bottom line I want you guys to write down. This is really the it, that if you believe you are the source of love, then you will love too little. If you believe that you are the source of the love in your relationships, then you will always draw the line shorter than what God would. Because your love only goes so far. Your, your love is naturally going to extend only to a certain area. You're only going to go just this far. You're, you're, you're going to cut the line off somewhere. And this is what I hope you get together with some friends this week and talk about. If I could choose just one topic for you guys to sit down and really dig into this week. If you want to do a, di- a deep dive, you don't have to go any farther than just this one part of the verse we just read. Like, dear friends, let us love one another for love is from God. If you can, if you can just talk about that one for a little bit and then discuss this little question. Where's your line? Where's this line at? Who gets in and who has to be out? In what situations do you stop loving people? At what point do they offend you so badly that you're unwilling to go the extra mile in love? What what situation comes into your life where you're like, no, 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 they're they're out, they're cut off, they're done, I'm out, they they are not on the list anymore. At what point does that happen? Because it happens for us all, somewhere. I know I have lines, and when I look at where my lines are drawn, oftentimes I'm convicted by understanding this idea that maybe God's love is asking me to cross a line I don't want to cross. So I know some of you are asking right now, so how am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to do with this? Like, how, do I, how do I go any farther? Well, here's the thing. I think John has an answer for us. It's not just that love comes from God. He also says in the next verse something very interesting that helps us rethink this whole I love idea and how big it really is. He said, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He's not only the source of love. John trying to wrap his mind around this whole Jesus thing is trying to go, there's only one answer here. God himself is love. Like, God is so much love that we would define him as love because of what I saw Jesus do and how he loved the people that he treated. And, and he, taught, he treated tax collectors and prostitutes and women caught in adultery and the Samaritan woman who, man, we don't even love the Samaritans. We don't even know what, they're half-breeds. We don't talk to them. Like, Jesus, looked, he loved all these people. And John's conclusion is, not only is God the source of love, just God is love. He is emanating love. How can that be true? It's because of what we talked about earlier in this next part of this verse. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is how God showed his love to us. This is what love actually looks like. 
You want to know what your love is supposed to be, what real love looks like? You have to look at Jesus. There's no other way for you to figure out what love really is unless you look at who Jesus is. And then he says this in verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know where we get this wrong so many times? See, we're all here today. We, we know what the purpose of church is. Nobody came here and be like, I wonder what church is. I, if you did, I'm glad you're here. But most of us at least know what the idea behind church is. And, and some of us came in the, the room this morning thinking that we were going to try and figure out how to love God better. And here, here's what John says. Your relationship with God did not start with you trying to figure out how to love God. It started by God loving you and sending his son for you. That's where the love started. So if you have some desire to go and love God, John just wants you to know God loved you first. God loved you first. You didn't start this relationship with him. You didn't come looking for God. God came looking for you already. And so when you think about this, even before you, you think about the haters, you're not, you just think about yourself. If you believe you are the source of love, you will love too little. Because God's love is larger than the lines you draw in your life. And I know it seems very uncomfortable. You're thinking about specific relationships right now and you're wondering, but if I love them, I'm taking a risk. I know you are. Love is risky. Love is difficult. Love is, love is going to ask more of you than you want to give. And you know this already. And guys, listen, our culture, we love love. You got, some of you have written love songs for your spouse. If you haven't, you should totally do it. It's worth it. You come up with some really crazy lyrics, but they think it's sweet, right? And you sung love songs to them. And you sing love lullabies to your children and your grandchildren. And you buy gifts for people. Why? Not because they deserve it, because you just, you just want to love them. Listen, I get it. We all think love is amazing. But if you believe for a minute that you're the source of love, step back for a minute and think about it. There are some people in your lives that you draw the line on and you put inside the box and there are other people that you send outside of your box because you don't know what to do with them. And they, they oftentimes force you to feel things for them the way they're treating you that you don't want to feel and distracts you from having real joy in your life and real peace. Or you start hating on yourself and you start feeling really terrible about yourself. And John says, this is the way out. There is only one way out of this hater's situation. And it is to realize that you are not the source of love that God is the source of love. And we know this because he sent his son to die for your sins in his love, not because you deserved it, but because he loves you and he didn't want to leave you in that position. So he sent lovingly his son to die for you. And so John in this context is trying to figure out, how should I tell these people who are getting hated on. What are, what are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to produce? And he comes back to this. It's like he can't get away from this one line. He comes back in verse 11 and says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And like, John, you're just repeating yourself. And he's like, I know it. I don't know how to explain it. But this is the reason you love. 
If you don't think about God being the source of love as you go into these relationships, you're going to miss it. You're going to hurt people. You're going to be hurt, and it's going to be terrible. But there's only one way out. You understand how much God loves you. That's the starting point. So listen, he blows up the faulty logic that we use to think about love. Those of you who have kids, you love your kids. You know why you love your kids? They came from your genetic material, right? They're your family. These are your kids. They're nobody else's. They came, they came from me. These are my kids. And we, we talk so often about, oh man, the family, we love the family. Listen, in John's day, you know what the Christians were doing? They realized that the genetic code was not the reason we love kids. They realized they started taking in orphans that the Romans would get rid of. They took them in as their own and they start saying, you know what, if God loved me that much, you're my family. I'm going to cross the line of love for you. So listen, you don't love your kids anymore because you're supposed to because it's that genetic code thing. No, you you love your kids because God loved you and he brought you into his family by sending Jesus to die. And then, listen, you you don't just love your spouse because you have kids. Like some of you have gotten to the point where you're like, you're just hanging on because the kids are still there. And we need, to, we need to hang on for the kids. We need, we need to do this for the kids. And behind the scenes, though, you, you just can't figure out the conflict and the stress that's going on. And you, and you end up in just really awkward situation in front of the kids. And you don't know how to explain it. And, and they don't know what's going on. But listen, John says, throw that logic out. You're not staying together for the kids. You know why you're staying together? Because God loved you and he forgave you. And yeah, you've got problems, but you can figure that out. You know why? Because love will help you figure it out. You've just got to refocus where your love starts from. It doesn't start with you or your spouse. It starts with God. And so when you realign the starting point, you get a new perspective on your spouse. Some of you have difficulty with exes. Ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, ex-wives, ex-husbands, whatever it is. But you're dealing with kids and you're trying to split time between two. And you get that text message on Saturday morning. It's like, hey, the timeline I gave you last night is going to work out. And you're like, look, it's my time. I know, that this, I know this is inconvenient, but I'd like to keep them to the And then this whole text battle blows up. And you're like, oh, you know what? I'm just a, mm, you just want to cut the whole phone off. You want to throw the phone out. You want, you're getting so angry. You're like, they, can't, they just don't do anything right. And you get this anger. Listen. Restart, reset. You don't love them because you share kids. You have to figure out how to love even that person in that moment, in that circumstance, because God loved you first. And by the way, wherever your line lands, I just want you to think about this. Wherever your line is, do you realize that God's line isn't there? That God's line is somewhere over there? And usually the people that are hating on you and you start to hate back on, God loves them too. So when he says verse 12, when he brings this up, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John is saying, listen, it's better for you to let God's love go through you to the haters than to hate them. It is actually a better thing for you to love well because you get this added benefit that if you will love one another, God lives in us. God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living every day of your life knowing that God is living in you, with you? 
And that his love is complete in you. Like you, you can feel his love coming to you. But listen, the way you do that, the way you release that is that you love one another. And you figure that out. Because that's what John says is going to help you get through this. So this week, the challenge is very simple but difficult. This is like upper level difficult. But I want to give you just a small, small step. As you go through the week and you hit haters. And haters come flying at you from every direction. Facebook, work, family, old friends that pop back up, old exes that pop back up. People just come at you from all sides. You're like, ah, oh, haters, haters, haters. You just need to stop and remember when haters going to hate, my love is too small, God's love is bigger. That is the truth you have to remind yourself of this. You may not know what to do with your ex. You may not know what to do with your in-laws. You may not know what to do with your coworker or your boss or your kids or whatever it is that's causing you stress and the haters are coming out. You may not know what to do yet. But you can stop and pause. You may have to get, get out of the, get, just get out of the room for a minute. You may have to go to the restroom and take a, take a pause. You may have to go to your office, close the door. You, you may have to go in the other room. You have to figure it out. But for just a pause for a second to be able to remember then when haters start coming at you, you don't draw lines. That you don't stop loving just because the circumstances of the relationship starts to hurt. Now listen, some of you are asking the question, but what about this relationship? It's toxic, it's abusive, it's neglectful. I'm not asking you to stay in that. That's not, I'm not asking you to receive abuse. That is not what this message is about. That's not what the next two weeks is about. The next two weeks, we're actually going to talk about how do you deal with toxic relationships in a loving way and still stay safe. But listen, today, all I want you to be thinking about is where your lines are, where are your boundary lines, and where are God's? Because the challenge for us, listen, if you're not a believer here, this is, this is, this is probably beyond you. You're like thinking about this. You're like, there's no way I get that. You can try this or not. But listen, if you follow Jesus... This is, this is a command. This is, this, is the, this is the new bar. And yes, the bar is unreasonable. But this is why God showed you the way and loved you so well. Because as you start to love people, God's love will be complete in you. And so where you didn't think you could love, you can love. Not because of your love, because of His love. And if you can start seeing yourself as an avenue, as a channel for the source of love to love the people in your life, even when they don't love you back, you will find that God lives in you and His love is made complete in your life. And that is one of the most powerful things that anybody can experience in this world. And I don't want you to miss it. So this week, today, this afternoon, figure out how you're going to remember to stop and pause and remember where your lines are and where God's lines are and that his love is always bigger than yours. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for Jesus, for his example, that he didn't just say this, he actually did it. And God, by looking at those two things, God, it just changes the way we think about our own love. God, please help me to understand how to do this. When I feel like hating other people because they're, they're, they're hurting me or persecuting me or talking about behind my back, when, when I have to face that, God, give me the strength to pause and remember that you died for that person as well. 
And God, help me remember in that moment that my response should be out of love, not by some other desire in me, not selfishness and not, not revenge and not uh, self-hate. But these, it's, it's all got to come back to this one thing, that God, you loved us first. And so God, I, I pray that you'd help everyone here as they go their way to help them figure out how to love even the haters. And that they would do this in a way that would change their relationships and the way people respond to them. Because, God, your love is bigger than ours. And we want to make sure that we're loving people with the same love that you give us. So it's in your sons and we ask it. Amen.